0: From the Carnegie Chinghua Center in Beijing, China, this is the China in the World podcast, hosted by Paul Hanley.
1: In the last month, North Korea has tested a nuclear weapon many times more destructive than the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. North Korea also sent two ballistic missiles hurling over Hokkaido, the second largest island of Japan. The rhetoric from Washington, Pyongyang, and even Tokyo and Seoul has heated up in the wake of these provocations and in the lead up to the United Nations General Assembly. But here in Beijing, Chinese officials continue to work to try to cool things down. I sat down with my Carnegie colleague, Dr. Tong Zhao, to discuss the situation on the peninsula, North Korea's recent provocations, and China's view on the situation. Tong Zhao is a senior fellow in the Carnegie Endowment's nuclear policy program based here at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center in Beijing. Following the statements by North Korea's foreign minister that they may consider a hydrogen bomb test over the Pacific Ocean. My conversation with Dr. Tong Zhao in this podcast is particularly relevant as he indicated that this could be one of few actions taken by North Korea that would cross China's red line. I hope you enjoy our conversation and if you like the China in the World podcast, please be sure to leave us a rating and comment on iTunes and head to the Carnegie Tsinghua website to see more of the work from all of our scholars. Glad to be joined today by my uh, good friend and Carnegie Tsinghua colleague, Tong Zhao, here at our center in Beijing, China. Congratulations are in order to Dr. Tong Zhao, who uh, recently got married. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, uh, Dr. Tong Zhao just a few days after North Korea's latest missile test and a couple weeks after their sixth nuclear test on September 3rd, which uh, was a hydrogen bomb most powerful test to date. The original estimates put it in the 100 uh, kiloton range, but I think updated seismic data indicates it could have been up to 250, 300 kilotons. Uh, Some estimates I've seen says that's 17 times more powerful than the bomb that the United States used uh, on Hiroshima in World War II. Dr. Tonja, I want to start out and just get a sense from you on how this recent nuclear test earlier this month uh, has changed the thinking of policymakers here in Beijing, if at all. Should we expect after this sixth nuclear test, this is the fifth nuclear test that Kim Jong-un has done. Mm -hmm. His father did one nuclear test. Kim Jong-un has done five. Should we expect a policy change from China? Um, and, And how does this impact the ability of the United States and China to cooperate going forward. Is this positive? Will this be helpful?
0: Well, the sixth nuclear test uh, was different in the sense that it really made many Chinese fear about the direct impact of the test on Chinese interests. You know, due to the very large yield, explosive yield, there was real fear in China that this time North Koreans might have screwed up uh, there might be a serious release of radioactive materials that would spread into China. Maybe the water as the, the underground water could be uh, affected after a period of time um, that might uh, lead to uh, uns- unstable geo- geological conditions near the the border in the mountainous areas uh, could uh, lead to the eruption of the Uh, volcano there. Um, But after a little while, I think there was, you know, new data coming out from the monitoring station saying, okay, we were actually fine this time. Uh, We are lucky again. There was no serious release of radioactivity. There was only some xenon gas that was detected in South Korea, which um, poses no real threat to public health. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that sense of urgency quickly emerged, but also faded away uh, with time. Um, And also the timing of the test uh, was interesting. Uh, It occurred uh, simultaneously with the opening of the BRICS summit in Xiamen, uh, which was attended not only by the Chinese president, but also by the Russian president. Um, Of course, uh, China was the host. Uh, So it was a direct insult uh, to two of North Korea's primary supporters, uh, China and Russia. So there was uh, widespread uh, belief that uh, North Korea deliberately wanted to insult China. Although personally, I had a different view uh, about why it took place on September the 3rd. Uh, I didn't, I don't believe uh, North Korea deliberately uh, provoked China, but I think apparently North Korea did not mind making China feel displeased.
1: But this is, this is also not the first time that North Korea has done a nuclear test or a missile test on a date that uh, really undermines China. Of course, the Belt and Road Forum, there were a number of missile tests Um, I remember shortly after President Xi Jinping was was elevated to Secretary General of the Communist Party back in 2012, uh, there was uh, missile tests, and then on the Spring Festival the year, just a few months later, there was a nuclear test. They do seem to be timed to Chinese events, um, and as a way to, you know, let China know, that uh, North Korea is not pleased with something. Um, is that your sense that um, increasingly they're timed to Chinese events, activities, or things that are important to China, dates that are important to China?
0: Personally, I'm a little skeptical about that theory because there, is other, there are other theories. For example, North Korea always conducted major nuclear missile tests at important North Korean holidays, right, and there was a recent research that collected all the data and compared with the with the timing of each event, and really showed there was no close coordination between the nuclear missile test and mm-hmm. major North Korean domestic holidays. Um, I think you know sometimes we tend to see some testing happening at the same time with major Chinese events. Um, You know, I think the reason is there are so many high-level events taking place all the time. You know, top leader summit meetings, phone calls between Chinese U.S. presidents, Chinese president always visiting some country, doing some high-level events. So you think it's more more coincidence than... It's more coincidence. And um, if we look at uh, the nuclear testing history of other countries, China, for example, China's own first nuclear test, took place at the same time when Khrushchev Khrushchev, uh, stepped off from power. And that was widely interpreted by the international community as China deliberately testing its nuclear device uh, to celebrate Mm -hmm. the stepping down of of Khrushchev. Mm Uh, but in fact, there was it was not planned at all. It, just, it was primarily determined by technical factors. Mm-hmm. I think major uh, national defense events, testings, mm-hmm. uh, nuclear weapons, ICBMs, they tend to be determined more by technical factors, weather conditions, logistical factors. Uh, it's would, would, you, w-
1: I, would you at least agree that North Korea is? taking less into consideration in terms of when they do it. Even if they decide the date by technical uh, means, uh, if it occurs on the day that President Xi Jinping is giving an important speech at the BRICS summit, perhaps in the past North Korea may adjust that date considering its uh, main supporter, China. Um, But today, maybe they see things differently.
0: Exactly. I think that's what happened. So maybe they chose the timing of the test uh, due to technical reasons. But they also knew this is inconvenient for China. But given that they are increasingly uh, angry against China due to uh, growing Chinese economic pressure, so they didn't mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, making Mm -hmm. China feel a little Mm -hmm.
1: displeased. You talked about the concerns of the Chinese citizens in Northeast Asia based on this latest test. This is not the first time we have seen those concerns um, surface. We saw this after the previous nuclear tests as well. There seems to be some growing concern in China for the safety of citizens. Next to North Korea, which continues to develop at a very, very fast rate under Kim Jong un, both its nuclear program and missile program. What effect is this having on public opinion in China about China's policy towards North Korea? We often hear from the Chinese leadership that public opinion uh, does have an impact on what the leadership can and can't do. It provides certain constraints in certain areas based on public opinion and that they have to be responsive to public opinion in China. What changes have you seen or should we expect to see uh, with regard to Chinese policy based on these growing concerns by the Chinese citizen and shifting public opinion?
0: Yes, indeed. Um, you know, uh, From the Chinese perspective, the North Koreans were increasingly irresponsible in the way they conducted nuclear tests. Um, they were increasingly willing to explode very large nuclear devices with, very, with massive yields. Uh, and this time there was landslides after the explosion, which led to a second seismic event. Mm. So mm. the reporting of all these developments really concerned the Chinese general public and there are also concerns about uh, general nuclear safety security conditions in North Korea North Korea has other nuclear reactors the 5 megawatt uh, reactor it is using to uh, in and yangbyong that north korea uses to uh, produce uh, spent fuel and then to try to extract plutonium which is the fissile material for building nuclear weapons from the spent fuel there is a new light water reactor Some reports indicate the new light water reactor is already operating. Um, So if the North Koreans screw, screw up because they have very limited experience running nuclear reactors, don't forget even a very advanced highly industrialized country like Japan could screw up and have major nuclear safety disasters. What what would that mean if there is a major nuclear disaster in the North Korean nuclear reactors? So the concern is real and growing. However, I have to say uh, it appears it is having some impact on the thinking of Chinese general public, on the thinking of Chinese experts, and maybe on the thinking of Chinese officials about North Korea. But again, we have been lucky so far. And there are more important geostrategic conditions on the Korean Peninsula that tend to trump um, technical factors such as nuclear safety incidents. so um, the impact on China's overall mm-hmm. North Korea policy mm-hmm. seems still limited so far
1: Let's talk a little bit about those geostrategic factors. Um, after significant events like this sixth nuclear test, uh, my own sense is that the United States steps back and wonders policymakers whether or not this provides a greater opportunity for the U.S. and China to cooperate, that perhaps this was the event that crossed the Chinese red line, um, that where, where Chinese leaders say enough is enough we really need to work closer with the United States and maybe even partner with the United States on, on putting more pressure on North Korea to give up its nuclear program or come back to the negotiating table to talk about giving up its nuclear program. Um, is that is that a possibility in the aftermath of the six nuclear tests? Did it cross any Chinese red line? And if not, are there red lines that China has drawn that North Korea might cross in the future. How do you see and analyze this dynamic of U.S.-China cooperation? Um, I know that there are geostrategic considerations here, and I wanted to get your sense of those.
0: I personally don't see the recent nuclear test as crossing a Chinese red line. I don't think there is any clear red line on the Chinese part. Um, if there is some major incident, like if North Korea conducts another nuclear test that they screwed up and released a massive amount of radioactive materials that spread to China and raised the general public fear, um, caused social instability, That could fundamentally change Chinese calculations. Or if North Korea goes so far as to launch a real nuclear warhead on the top of a missile in another test, simply to test their capability to mate a real nuclear warhead to their missile, and they shoot the missile towards the middle of the the Pacific Ocean, and detonate the nuclear warhead in in the atmosphere that would break a long-held nuclear taboo. Mm -hmm. I think those type of events could fundamentally change Chinese calculations. But short of that, I don't see... I think the Chinese basic calculations about its own geostrategic interest on the peninsula will remain
1: the same. If a red line... Uh, or an incident, as you've just described, uh, two of them uh, very clearly, um, were to take place, what options does China see in terms of policy? How would China's policy change vis-a-vis North Korea? Uh, What does China see as the options in dealing with North Korea to, to get them to stand down and reverse their nuclear programs?
0: So one fundamental concern uh, that has prevented China from taking very radical measures such as adopting a comprehensive economic embargo against North Korea to completely cut off North Korea's economic lifeline is the concern that in doing so, uh, China would run the risk of turning North Korea into a Chinese enemy. Mm and that will make North Korea another nuclear armed enemy
1: in Chinese neighborhood. So at that time, I often hear Chinese scholars say to me, Paul, those missiles are not pointing at us yet. And um, there's a apprehension in China to take steps that they believe would lead to redirection of those missiles towards China. And that's basically what you're referring to.
0: Right. If it's China that is using economic pressure to threaten the stability of the regime, why wouldn't the regime use the same nuclear weapons and missiles to to threaten China? Um, I think in that situation, North Korea can be as hostile to China as to the United States. And there were reports that senior North Korean officials already said uh, at their internal meeting that their Hwasong-12 missile, the intermediate range uh, ballistic missile, can cover every corner of China. So there is already very thinly veiled threat from North Korea on China as China steps up its economic pressure on North Korea. So that's the worst case scenario for China, which is making the North Korean nuclear weapons a direct threat to China. So. If North Korea conducted nuclear tests in very irresponsible ways that cause direct impact on Chinese public health and Chinese interests, that could change the Chinese calculation. Uh, Maybe China is now willing to run the risk of provoking North Korea and then try to work with the United States to address the North Korean issue once and for all. Short of that, I don't see China wanting to risk that worst-case scenario from happening.
1: As we look at the uh, policy options, um, I would argue that all parties, including the United States, would like to find a way to resolve this diplomatically, peacefully, Um, but there seems to be some disagreement um, on when and how the parties should come to the table and under what conditions. It seems that the United States, largely there's a view in the United States, and I think the administration um, is uh, putting this forward of this notion of sanctions and coercive diplomacy, where um, you maximize pressure through financial sanctions and diplomatic isolation to bring North Korea to the bargaining table to get them to give up their nuclear program. It's a maximalist approach. It seems to be the one the United States... Uh, the current Trump administration seems to be pursuing. There's another approach of immediate diplomacy, and China seems to push this, where um, there's a desire to reopen diplomatic talks without any preconditions, to get an understanding of the situation before it spirals out of control. Um, This doesn't necessarily involve coercive diplomacy sanctions. The idea is to come to, go to the table as quickly as possible and begin talking, that the idea of talking to North Korea will somehow improve the situation. And then third, uh, there's a lot of talk these days uh, about this notion of preemptive strikes to mitigate the North Korean threat. I want to get a sense of your views on each of those options, Maybe you have a different option in mind. And are there advocates in China for each of these views? And if so, who is winning the debate?
0: So I think uh, the Chinese consideration on these issues um, is determined by how China understand the North Korean motivations, and how China understands possible North Korean reactions to such measures, such as a comprehensive economic embargo. So um, from the, my understanding is, um, if China adopts a comprehensive embargo, completely cuts off crude oil supply, everything, in a while, it might threaten gradually the stability of the North Korean economy, and therefore might lead to social instability and, and ultimately might lead to regime collapsing. But that will take time to take effect. And during this time, um, North Korean reactions would include, first, shifting uh, the um, supply of oil products from the civilian sector to the military sector. There is research that already showed that after oil cut off, Uh, the North Korean civilian sector could quickly cut its consumption of oil products by 40% and shift these resources to the military use. And also the military has its own reserve of oil, the amount of which we don't know, but it could last for a little while. And even among the military, the nuclear and missile programs always receive the top priority in terms of supply of resources. And the North Korea nuclear missile programs have long passed the stage when they can be contained by the supply of oil. The only restraint or constraint on North Korea nuclear missile program is technical. And if they continue testing, they will overcome the remaining technical bottleneck And that's just a matter of time. So, in other words, a comprehensive embargo won't stop North Korea from making fast progress on its nuclear missile programs in the near term future. And it's very possible, that's North Korea, that's what North Korea is trying to do. They know the economic impact is coming. So they are doing everything to complete the last step of their nuclear missile program. And if they can achieve this very quickly by conducting a very small number of additional missile tests, especially ICBM tests, and maybe one more nuclear test, and then they can quickly uh, soften their position and launch a diplomatic Mm -hmm. offense. And at that time, the situation becomes the increasing pressure is making the civilians suffer. That might be increasing news reports of civilians uh, starving and even dying from hunger so the international pressure on u.s on china who impose the embargo will be very serious and increasing at the same time north korea is now softening offering diplomatic engagement wanting to talk and international opinion i think will shift look north korea is now asking for dialogues and you are still keeping on the sanction that is making the civilians suffer so i think the, the, the North that's the North Korean calculation. They want to use the time to complete their program and then making the pr- shifting pressure to to international community. So in that scenario, I don't see how you know we can really force North Korea to give up its nuclear weapons. And let's consider a more radical scenario, which is okay. The new the the embargo can quickly uh, destabilize the regime. In that scenario, the regime basically faces two options, one is of course to back down. But the second option is the regime can choose to be even more provocative. Uh, It can enhance its military threats towards South Korea, Japan, Guam, etc. It can follow up its previous threat to launch four Hwasong-12 missiles towards the waters around Guam. And when the regime is in a desperate situation facing collapse, its military threats will become very credible. And in that scenario, how do we deal with a more provocative North Korea? I don't think even the United States has a good strategy Mm -hmm. or good exit strategy in that scenario. So that's one reason I think many Chinese experts just don't understand. uh, Even if we are put in that situation, can we make sure? we can end up in a desirable
1: outcome. So that kind of comprehensive economic pressure sanctions coercive diplomacy, you've laid out a number of concerns, including the instability, the potential collapse that could cause for the regime. You didn't mention it, but I'm sure millions of refugees coming across the border is is also part of that thinking. Um, You also mentioned that even if the United States and China were to come together and and and, inf- and put that kind of pressure on North Korea, Kim Jong-un is, has got the pedal to the metal. And he is speeding forward as quickly as possible uh, with that goal, immediate, urgent goal, to get a nuclear device on top of an intercontinental ballistic missile that could range the United States. And once he gets to that point, he can back off and perhaps move to diplomacy. So for a lot of reasons, and so that it's not even really, even if we chose to use that kind of coercive diplomacy, he's going to beat us to attaining that capability, and it's not, wouldn't even be feasible, wouldn't even be an effective approach because he's speeding ahead so fast. You also talked about the Chinese red lines, for lack of a better word, and if an accident were to occur in China uh, with radioactive fallout, or if they were to test a nuclear missile that landed in the Asia Pacific, into the Pacific Ocean, uh, that these potentially would 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 cause China to shift to something more along the lines of course of diplomacy. Under that scenario, what would the Chinese goal be? Because I think one of the things I'm sensing is that American administration senses this situation as much more urgent. And as a result, wants a very aggressive and robust coercive diplomacy. China thinks that there's still time and doesn't see it as urgent. If China saw it as urgent and moved to this coercive diplomacy, what would the goals be? Because those potential risks that you've you've just outlined uh, under a U.S.-led coercive diplomacy strategy would still be there under a Chinese-led coercive diploma, diplomatic strategy. So what would the goals be? Would they be different? And, and how would China consider those risks that you've just laid out in a situation where China decided to move towards coercive diplomacy?
0: Right. If North Korea proves to be an immediate threat to China as well, I do see the possibility that China takes more radical measures. Uh, but I think um, it's more likely that China would, you know, allow or give um, agreement, give consent for, to the United States and to let the United States um, to take maybe a military option against North Korea. I still don't see China practically considering a military option. Itself
1: against North Korea and oil, an oil embargo. Right in that Chinese?
0: scenario, yes, I think uh, if Chinese interests are directly affected, I do see China maybe wanting to consider cutting the oil, cutting everything, trade, trade. The treaty has already basically minimized, uh, you know, all the exports, uh, minimal resources,
1: seafood, textile, all the major trade are already prohibited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, So it sounds like what you're saying is is if North Korea were to do something that, that whether it was an accident or the type of test, as you've described, that China would see as extremely dangerous, um, that if North Korea took steps that were really directly in undermining Chinese interests, then there could be a decision to move towards the kind of approach that the United States has been advocating for some time. The other approach on diplomacy, where China has pushed reopening diplomatic talks without preconditions, can you give me a sense if the United States and North Korea were to agree to convening talks? What kind of format would they take, and what role would China play? Of course, China has been the chair of the Six Party Talks. When I was the White House representative to the Six Party Talks, China had a very central role uh, in in those negotiations. What countries would be involved, and and what would the United States, China, and North Korea, what should they put on the table?
0: So I I think many Chinese are very pessimistic about the prospect of um, making North Korea agree to denuclearize in the near-term future. It appears to us that North Korea is fully determined to keep its existing capabilities it might be open to discussing uh, refraining from further improving its capabilities, refraining from further enlarging its arsenals. That's possible to negotiate about, but there is no chance uh, to negotiate with North Korea about rolling back its existing capabilities.
1: So. If we take the coercive diplomacy strategy off, this very aggressive, robust attempt to get North Korea under so much pressure uh, that it changes the political calculus of North Korea and they may consider giving their nucle- giving up their nuclear programs, absent that, are you saying then that it's nearly impossible uh, that North Korea would give up its nuclear weapons? And if that's the case, would chi- would China change its policy then to recognize North Korea as a nuclear power and abandon the goal of denuclearization?
0: I would challenge you and even argue that even if we use coercive diplomacy uh, to threaten the regime, it's more likely that North Korea will be more provocative rather than choosing to back down. North Korea, I think, has confidence that it can win this competition of risk-taking against the United States. North Korea believes that it has much higher stakes in this game. It can take more risk than the United States. Therefore, its strategy of brinksmanship will eventually win. So, if it insists on demonstrating its nuclear capabilities, enhancing, stepping up its military threat, the United States will ultimately uh, come to recognize the reality of a nuclear arm North Korea. So, uh, I I don't think the, the, uh, you know, I tend to disagree with your um,
1: precondition, I think. Precondition, that coercive diplomacy will will lead
0: to North Korea agree to give up its hmm. existing capabilities. The the more likely result is North Korea becoming more provocative, threatening uh, military uh, attacks, missile launches, etc., that will land
1: everyone in a more volatile situation Mm -hmm. and the last uh, area that i mentioned was this notion of preemptive action a lot of talk these days about preemptive strikes to mitigate the north korea threat the u.s administration continues to say all options are on the table including military options how do you assess those and 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 how how do how are they looked at from within china yeah, everyone
0: interested in knowing the American capability to conduct a preemptive strike against North Korea, uh, completely wiping out North Korea's nuclear missile uh, weapons. Uh, interesting. Uh, interestingly, uh, Secretary of Defense uh, Mattis recently said that there are military options that wouldn't undermine the security of South Korea, or wouldn't undermine the security of Seoul. Which seems to indicate American confidence that it can uh, completely destroy North Korean nuclear weapons and long range conventional artilleries in the first disarming strike and making North Korea completely incapable of retaliating. Um, no one knows exactly where the American capability lies, but if we look at previous uh, North Korean missile launches, it appears that the U.S. intelligence community has been capable of detecting early signs of every North Korean missile launch preparation and was able to monitor the entire process of launch preparation. Um, So it indicates a very capable U.S. capability uh, to monitor North Korean missile activities. If that's true maybe the US is indeed capable of doing the preemptive strike but without access to classified information i don't think anyone outside is you know has a very good assessment about where exactly uh, how is that how capable exactly the United States is you,
1: your description of the general mattis's comments and and the possible US capability i would say are more optimistic than many American experts. Um, Is that a widely held view in China?
0: I don't think there is a consensus view in China about American uh, capability to conduct preemptive strike against North Korea. Um, um, People have different theories, uh, guesses about U.S. capability, but no consensus.
1: Finally, Dr. Tungjiao, there's an important meeting here in China in October the 19th Party Congress, and shortly after that, President Trump is expected to travel to China on, a, uh, on an official visit, uh, perhaps in, in November around the East Asia Summit and APEC meetings in Vietnam and the Philippines. Does this present opportunities for the U.S. and China to do something more uh, in collaboration with, with regard to North Korea? How should we see the importance of that trip?
0: Um, that trip will take place after the conclusion of the 19th Party Congress, um, which means the Chinese leadership uh, might have more bandwidth uh, to deal with foreign security policy issues. Previously, they have been preoccupied. they would have been preoccupied by domestic issues. That might mean China can be more flexible in dealing with North Korea. Um, however, I still believe that the basic calculations of Chinese interests over the Korean Peninsula might not change dramatically and China already feels that it is cornered by both sides, U.S. and North Korea. Again, uh, North Korea is increasingly threatening China. So China is taking on an increasingly higher security price for uh, pressuring North Korea. The room for China to do more before it turns North Korea into a nuclear-armed enemy of China is very small. So I really doubt how much more China can do. And of course, that all depend, also depends on what North Korea will do in the next couple of months. Will North Korea conduct more nuclear tests, ICBM tests, etc.? That will also change China's uh, perception. But again, uh, I tend to be more skeptical about the argument that after the 19th Party Congress, uh, with uh, the visit of Mr. Trump, uh, China will take a fundamentally different approach towards North Korea.
1: Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, You have shed uh, quite a bit of light on these issues from a Chinese perspective, and it's, I think, extremely helpful and constructive as we deal with this challenge that appears to be growing and growing every day, uh, and is quite serious. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. That's it for this edition of the Carnegie Tsinghua China in the World podcast. I encourage you to explore our site and see the work of all our scholars at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next time.